Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Merciful Father, we pray that your steadfast love would come to us this very evening. That your salvation would be shared towards us through all of your promises. That we would have an answer for those who taunt and mock us but that we would trust you and your word. Let not the word of truth leave our mouths, but let your your words guide and lead us. Give us hope and comfort as we read of your promises this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word from Genesis chapter 47, verse 29 to 31. And then Genesis chapter 49, verse 28 to 32. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Genesis chapter 49, verse 28 to 32. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing them with their blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought with me in the field of Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the Hittites. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The internet can be a dark and depressing place to live sometimes, but it also can be a a place to be able to go and find uh, strange things. One strange things you can find on the internet are strange will and testimonies that have been written and left. Apparently, William Shakespeare left his wife his second best bed. Uh, obviously, she did not deserve the first best bed that he owned. And why he owns two beds, I'm not sure. Others have left their fortune to complete strangers, while others have left their fortunes with conditions attached to them. Others have left their fortunes to their pets. One of the most bizarre I saw was that of the legendary Polish composer and pianist uh, Andrzej Tchaikovsky, who died at the age of 40. As one of his final requests, Tchaikovsky asked that his body was to be donated to science, all except one part, his skull. He had bigger plans for that. He demanded that his head bone be used to portray Yorick which is the famous prop, I guess you might say, in 
Shakespeare's production of Hamlet. And Tchaikovsky was given commanding performances, and he did his last performance in 2008. And tonight we see a request, maybe not as strange as having your skull used in a stage prop of a play, but we see the last request of Jacob. Now we're getting to the conclusion of his life. We still have time to see the blessings in which he bestows upon the two sons of Joseph and his sons. But this is all bracketed by this, these passages we just read before. This request about what would happen to him after he dies. And tonight we'll be looking at the request to the part which Jacob's words are given to Joseph. We'll spend some weeks looking at the blessings and we'll come back around to see the request Jacob gives to his sons and his actual death and burial at the end of chapter 49 and chapter 50. Now this can be a strange and gloomy passage. Death is not a common topic, although it's a common thing. Death is something that everyone will experience unless the Lord returns. We all have to face it to some reality or another. We see death everywhere, but yet it is not a topic we talk about. It's something actually we try not to talk about. We avoid at great costs. Our culture has done this. We partake of this. We want to move away. We don't like to use words like death or dying or he died or they died. Rather, we try and replace what is realistic with more poetic, that he is no longer with us, that she has passed away. She's in a better place. Now, if we're honest, it's not a nice thing to think about. Although it is natural to some extent, it's not really something that is pleasant. It's not a nice thing to think about. It's not a nice thing to talk about. But I think it is something that we need to talk about and think about and understand. I think there's three big questions that everyone needs to answer in their life. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And what happens after we die? Those three big questions shape how you live in every single day of your life. If you believe you came from nothing then you're here for nowhere, no reason, and you're going nowhere, then what you do does not matter. It has a temporal aspect to it. This is why I think our world loves pleasure and satisfaction. Because the moment is all that we have. And I do believe these questions are connected. Although you can answer them separately, I think that they need to be seen together. And how you affect one answers another. If we're made by a creator, we're made for a purpose. If we're made for a purpose, then what is that purpose? If there is such thing as an afterlife, what is it? And why? The Bible has answers to all of these big questions. I think the best answers that anyone can give. 
And I think the Genesis is a great answer. This book gives us great answers to be able to understand all of these. The Genesis is a life begins uh, as a book begins with life, creation, and ends in death. However, we see that the promise is far greater than just merely life and death. There's a promise that goes greater than that. We must understand that death comes because of the fall, as God had promised. God promised to the Adam and Eve in the garden, as he told Adam specifically, that you shall eat of any tree in the midst of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day of you eat of it you shall surely die. And death is exactly what came upon mankind because of that action. Genealogy found in chapter 5, you might say, is the genealogy of death with the repetitious phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. The death is the realistic application of what happens to us after the fall. But yet, even in the, the midst of Genesis, even in the, the passages of death and gloom, we see the promise of that to come. That for those who believe in those promises through faith can have comfort in death. Jacob had circled the sun 147 years. And what a time as he told Pharaoh he has had. That his years are few compared to his ancestors. Although his years have been few, his evil has been grand. His life has seen much sorrow and grief, much trial and tribulation. Not even owning a home as he calls himself a sojourner. Now he has joys as that of any believer. But the joys are nothing too ecstatic for those who are non-believers. But as we come to the end of his life, we need to remember a promise which came right before he left for Egypt in chapter 46. Where God told him that I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I also will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now you might say that this verse here is a summary of what is going to unfold in the following chapters. That he will go down to Egypt, that God would be with him down in Egypt, that Joseph would close his eyes, that he would die in Egypt. And as you fast forward 17 years, he is now on his deathbed. The famine is over, but he still remains in Egypt. So what does it mean when God told him that he will promise to bring him up again? And how does that then go in hand with the next line that Joseph will close his eyes? I think the the second part is that he will die in Egypt. That Joseph has set up his home, he lives in Egypt, and he's going to die in Egypt. That is where Joseph is, and Joseph is the one who's going to close Jacob's eyes. That here, Israel is going to die in Egypt. 
But then that raises the question, what does it mean when God promises that he will bring him up again? Is it merely just a geographical promise that Egypt is south of Canaan and so north would be up? That God is promising to bring him out of Egypt? Well, God does not do that. He spends those 17 years in famine in Egypt. So if it's not geographical, then what is it? I think Michael Morales makes a very convincing argument that it means more than something that is geographical but is theological. That it's not merely the going down, which is the important part, but it's a combination of that going down and then coming up. That often it speaks of death and then resurrection. Now, I don't have time this evening to be able to make his terrific argument. But I think you can see here this terminology as he outlays it in his book, Exodus Old and New, a biblical theology for redemption. He puts it this way, The language of Scripture accords with both notion of Egypt as representing Sheol, consistently using the verb of descent, Yarad, into Egypt, and that of ascent, Allah, out of Egypt. And when entering the netherworld, one always descends into Egypt. And the exodus of Israel out of Egypt is nothing less than an ascension. His simple, present, uh, his simple statement is that these terminologies to go down and to come up is not merely just a geographical one. But is often used with going down to Sheol into death. And this is exactly what Joseph, Jacob has done. He has come down to Egypt in the midst of death. That is what a famine is. A famine is the result of the curse of death over all the land. Nothing is living. And, Joseph, and Jacob goes down to Egypt in his descent, Yarad. And then his ascent out of Egypt. He uses this terminology in chapter 37 when his brother, his sons, and his daughters try and comfort him. But he refuses to be comforted and says, No, I shall go down to Sheol to, to my son mourning. That he goes down to Egypt. And I'm sure it does not take but a moment for us to connect this to Christ. The Christ come down from heaven, not merely just to come down to live on this earth, but to go down into the grave. That of death. But then to come up out of the grave, to ascend up into heaven. That of the resurrection and ascension. Then we understand more of the promise which God told to Jacob in chapter 46, that I myself will go down to you in Egypt and also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now this promise is not a geographical promise. And I think Jacob understands this not merely as just a promise, 
of geographical up and downness. Notice the great lengths that Jacob goes to make sure that Joseph will not bury him in Egypt. As we read before, promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Again in verse 31, swear to me. He makes Joseph put his hand on his thigh, just as Abraham did with his servant in chapter 24. He makes him swear, says in chapter 24, that I make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son out of the daughters of the Canaanites, of among whom I dwell. Makes him swear a promise. But this promise is also connected in Genesis chapter 32. When Jacob wrestled with God, as Jacob demand for a blessing, as his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, you have striven with God and with men and you have prevailed. It is more than just a promise from a son to a father, but from God to Jacob. That he will bring him up out of Egypt. And his request is quite simple. Do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Why? Why is it so important to Jacob? Why the burial? And why there? He repeats this in that passage we read later in chapter 49. Bury me with my fathers in the cave of the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, in the east of Memre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought from the field of Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. Not only did he, he seeks not only to be buried not in Egypt, but to be buried in a specific place, in a specific manner. Now, burial, as we've discussed throughout our time in Genesis, don't wish to be able to repeat things, but I do think that it's quite important for us to understand that burial has been the practice from the Old and the New Testament of that of the life of the believers. The first time we find this is Genesis chapter 15. That you should go to your fathers in peace and you shall bury in a good old age. And it carries the connections that we see in this passage. That they're going to a place to be buried with their fathers, their uh, ancestors, but also that they are to be buried. Again, it raises the question how can you go to your fathers in peace if your body is buried? Do your fathers exist no more if, if life is merely what we see? But the Bible paints us a picture not just of our body, but that of our soul as well. That our soul and our body, that our soul goes to be with his fathers, and the body lays with his fathers as their bodies lay in the ground. And he wants to be buried with his fathers. But again, if we see this merely as a sentimental thing, we miss the theological thing. In chapter 49, Joseph says to his sons, I want to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers. 
Who are his people? His people are standing before him. The twelve tribes of Israel, of which the nation of Israel would come, are right before him. But he says, I want to go gather to my people. Who are my people? And he says, to be buried with my fathers. He wants to be buried. He wants to be buried in the land of promise, which is given to his fathers to be connected to the the promises of the fathers. That this land is not merely just a sentimental thing, that it has theological implications as we've seen, as we've read through Genesis. As we remember, Abraham brought this land from Sarah. And Moses spends a large amount of time reminding us to know about this land. The cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, east of the Memre, in the land of Canaan which Abraham brought from the field of Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place in verse 32, in the field and the cave that is in, the, in, in it where you brought from the Hittites. He repeats over and over again that this is the land that Abraham bought. To tie us all those stories we read before. This is the one piece of land that he owns. Remember what he said to Pharaoh. That my, my, my days are few, my life is filled with evil, and I am a sojourner just like my father's. That he has spent his life homeless, as a homeless man, but he points out that his living body does not have a home, but he does have a home for his dead body. Stephen points this out in Acts chapter 7. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, and he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. The Jacob on his deathbed realizes and knows that his life, the promises have not yet been fulfilled that God had promised that he would do. That he knows the promise, but he sees the promise as well from afar. The author of Hebrews, in chapter 11, puts it this way. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But within context, he's saying that they weren't thinking of that land in which they had gone out. Jacob was not concerned about the land in which he left. Again, within context, the author of Hebrews says, All these these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Remember what he said to Pharaoh. For people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. His point there is that he is a sojourner. He has no home. Now, if they had been thinking of the land which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But, as it is, they they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. But all of these, Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, and Jacob 
died in faith. They did not have a home in this earth, but they have a home in heaven. And the reason all of, for all of this is that they died in faith. The faith in what? Faith in the promise which was given to them. The faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. That this is what the people of old received as their commendation. The author of Hebrews ends chapter 11, begins chapter 12, which includes Jacob as he's on his deathbed. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that has, was not set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That here, Jacob is looking from afar for the promise he has not yet received. Do not bury me down in Egypt. You promised you would bring me back out. That Isaiah looks back and he, and he says that, that Jacob had a savior. Chapter 49, Isaiah puts it this way, Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, the, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Jacob knows he has a Mighty One. Although even though we see it just in seed, we see the promise and the hope of the resurrection for those who believe and have faith. Jacob knew by faith that the promise was coming. The promise would be his one day. And so too, as believers, we share in this same comfort and promise. The Westminster Larger Catechism, question 86, asks this, What is the communion in glory with Christ, with the members of the invisible church in glory immediately after death? The communion with glory with Christ with the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death is in that their souls are being then made perfect in holiness, received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of glory and light, the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, which even in death continue united in Christ, rest in their graves as in their beds till at the last day they again united to their souls. The Shorter Catechism puts it simply that our bodies, our souls go up to be with the Lord in heaven and our bodies are placed in the ground, waiting until that day where they will be reunited once more. The, the believers have comfort in this uncomfortable topic. Because what has Christ done for us? Christ has come down, not only into earth, but down to the grave. 
He went down into the tomb and he came out victorious. He went down and defeated death. He defeated our last enemy. Not only did he defeat the last enemy, he ascended victoriously. The Christ is the one who has gone before us. And Jacob, as he prepares for death, is prepared for death. He knows that his life is few, that his days have been filled with evil, that he is a sojourner. But he's still ready for that promise. Zachary Crofton puts it this way, Death is indeed a curse to sinners, but the course of nature unto saints. The direful executioner of God's wrath and the law to all who die in their sin, but a messenger, a divine favor to all who die in the Lord, a harbinger of peace to all who walk in uprightness, a grim porter to fetch home to their father's mansions, all that are God's children. Death is indeed a dismal doom on the sons of the first Adam, but the discharge of all sin, sorrow, pain, and travail to all the sons of the second Adam. A believer can have comfort in their death because Christ is victorious over death. Jacob seeks and is ready for that promise to be fulfilled. Because God's promise was not only to go down with him to Egypt, but to also bring him back up, as the Heidelberg Catechism famously starts. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who with his precious blood was fully satisfied all of my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me. What a glorious thing that a believer can have comfort not only in life but also in death. That we are not our own. That Christ has bought us and paid in full. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for passages like this. Although they are gloomy and dark and hard for us to comprehend, uncomfortable for us to discuss, I pray that we would find great comfort in them. That many of a believer has walked before us, has placed their trust in your promises, through faith alone, that those, the great cloud of witnesses, put their hope and their trust not in the promises of this world, but your promises found in your word. We pray that we would live this life, that we would find comfort not only in today with our breath, but also even in our death. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. 
Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.